For me, it was like, how do I lay a great foundation? And once I feel okay with this foundation, how do I then start adding brick by brick? Because I know what my capacity is. I know what I can do. I know where my weak spots are or my most vulnerable spots are. And how do I get people around me to help with that vulnerability? Rakia Reynolds is the founder and CEO of Sky Blue Media, a multimedia strategic communications firm based in Philadelphia and New York. You can find her online at Rakia Reynolds and at Sky Blue Media. She began her career as a television producer, working at MTV, TLC, and the Discovery Channel. She transitioned into the world of PR while pregnant and on unemployment, when she dusted herself off and became an accidental entrepreneur with the founding of Sky Blue Media. A decade later, it's clear that her non-traditional approach to PR and communications has changed the game. Rakia and her team at Sky Blue Media work with powerhouses, including Serena Williams, Ashley Graham, and social activist Marley Diaz. And she works with brands we love, including Dell, Comcast, Airbnb, and Planned Parenthood. You're listening to This Guy's Legit. Rakia, I'm so pumped to be talking with you. Thank you for making time. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. Have you have you always been an entrepreneur? Like were you the kid on the block who was like organizing the 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 tadpole hunts or the I don't know, whatever. Tell me what you were like as a kid. Yeah, I think you know what? When I look back at things now, I'm like, wow, I was an entrepreneur from the beginning. I was always trying to figure out different ways to make money on my own because I you know, I was always thinking about how could I take a little bit of, you know, stress off of my parents or, you know, my parents would always be like, oh my gosh, this is too expensive or we've got to pay for your private school. And, you know, they were always trying to figure out ways to cut corners or save money. So I was always clipping coupons, um, you know, doing bake sales. I was always doing something to make a little bit of money selling pencils. I remember painting pencils at one point and selling them to the neighbors and they thought it was such a cute and fun idea. Um, I sold Girl Scout cookies for a really long time. I was a Girl Scout. And I think that also showed me how to be an entrepreneur because we were responsible for everything that we, you know, had to sell. And then I started a babysitter's club being inspired by watching and reading the books babysitter's club. I like wrangled about three different people in my neighborhood, like three girls from my block, um, and had them work with me for a babysitter's club and started like, you know, giving out flyers. And we had business within like three days of me starting this business. Um, and it lasted, I mean, it was through the summer, but I have been an entrepreneur probably since fourth grade. Wow. Wow. So, uh, mm-hmm. what was your first job where you like looked at those dollar signs on that paycheck and you were like, oh yeah, this is for me. Oh my gosh. Well, I mean, because I've been working like legit since I was 14, I think my first paycheck as a 14 year old, I was like, wow, like this is great. I have my own money. I can buy my own things. So that was, that was probably it. But I'll say the real like paycheck (laughs) came when I was a television producer. And I remember looking at the check saying, I've never 
never imagined making money like this. So this was like, you know, a job that I had after college. And I after college, I had spent five years working in higher education and doing um, conflict resolution and studying psychology and, you know, figuring out what I wanted to do with myself. And after that, I got a job working for um, producing content for MTV um, networks. And with that job, I was just like, wow, I'm like making real money. I'm a real adult. I could like pay my rent and go buy furniture. I could like pay my rent and do other things. So I think it was when I was a TV producer. Awesome. What gave you the confidence to, to leave that, uh, leave that like, you know, pretty sexy position and, and go ahead and start your own public relations agency. And is that, is that the first, is that the first step you made or did you do something before that? Like in between? Yeah. So, yeah. So, you know, I, I, it was never really, to be honest, like a sexy step, you know, working in television, there's a lot of moving around. You have, you know, dark times and you have times when you go on hiatus between shows and, I remember bouncing around a lot in TV, and which is something that I really loved about TV. I'd be working on a TV show about you make, making over homes, and then it would turn into jumping on another show about a scripted teen drama series, and then it was another show about you know using you know lead-free paint that decorates bathrooms. I was working on all of these fun shows, and then. Um, I remember being laid off working in television because times were changing and shows were moving to the West Coast and I was on the East Coast and, you know, it was one of the things where I, I had to make a decision. And so I got into the world of public relations um, in between producing content for MTV, TLC and Discovery Health. I was also producing fashion editorials for Lucky Magazine. And I showed up at set once and the senior fashion editor at Lucky Magazine said, hey, we want to feature you. So they did this big profile on me, you know, being a communications person, being in between Philadelphia and New York. And so people started to find out who I was and a PR agency reached out and said, hey, we'd love for you to work full-time at our agency. So I worked full-time at the agency. It, it wasn't my cup of tea because it was traditional PR. And then I went back into television. And when I went back into television, we all got, you know, we all got laid off. So I had been faced with being on unemployment. And, you know, I was on unemployment for a while. And while I was on unemployment, I was like, this just can't be it. This can't be the life that I dreamed of. So I thought about, you know, all of the, the work that I had done at, you know, working in product, you know, working at production companies, producing fashion editorials. And I was like, okay, what's the one like transferable skill that I have? And, you know, it's, it's communications, it's being able to tell a story and extract pieces of information and distill it in a way that it, it has or says something compelling. So I then decided to start my own agency uh, while I was on unemployment because at that point I was like, I don't have anything else to lose. Yes. So what was like, how did you, how did you stay lean? I mean, if you, you know, you were living off unemployment, you didn't have any other source of income and you decided that you were going to put your eggs in this basket and you were sort of going to bank on yourself. Um, so how did you, how long did it take to make money and, and how did you go about securing your first client? 
yeah, I, you know, initially I thought, oh, this is going to be really easy because it it didn't take very long to get my first client. What I did was I went to my alma mater, I went to Temple University, and I said to them, hey, I'm I'm starting a production company. Um, I you know I have some time. I'd love to be able to produce pieces of content for you know your trade shows and attracting students or things that you know are around campus safety. It was more of a you know more of a business. Um, objective, less of a marketing tool for them. But, um, you know, in going in with them, they, you know, opened up the door. I, you know, I started the agency. I started to bring people that had worked with me, you know, at the production company. I was working at Banyan Productions at that time. Um, I'd started to bring some folks with me from the production company and they helped me, you know, with my first big project. And so, you know, initially I was like, oh, this will come easy because, you know, I my first client didn't take very long to get. And I think you're going to hear some, some background because I have an office in the city. So it's very lively here in the city. But um, after, you know, having that first contract, I thought everything would be really easy. And, you know, it wasn't. It took me three years to really create you know, a viable company so that I could bring on other people to help. You know, I started bringing on freelancers and it was essentially campaigning for the company all of the time, knocking on doors, telling people that I had these non-traditional ways of, you know, working on comms and a non-traditional approach to, you know, getting people placed in the media and, you know, a different way of thinking than the traditional PR company or the traditional advertising agency that they were currently investing their money in. It was selling people on a different way to do things. And so, you know, it was me selling shoe boutiques and cheesesteak places and, you know, hookah bars. So these were my first, you know, these were my first clients. And I started with a business district that had about 200 stores. So I was working, you know, on communications and non-traditional communications with the business improvement district and the shoe boutiques and the card shop. So these were all like streets along the South Street corridor in Philadelphia and some of the surrounding streets. And then, you know, after about three and a half years, I started to get the hang of all of the things that I really wanted to do. And it was at that mark of like the three and a half almost four year mark where I was just like, okay, now I can grow. Now I can bring people on, you know, I can move into a bigger office space. Um, and that, yeah, three and a half to four years, that's what it took. And when, when did you, how did you know that you were ready to expand and invest in a space, invest in employees? Um, did you, had you been saving money all this time or you sort of felt like, all right, I have to just make the investment and then the money will come later. How did you, how did you make that decision? Yeah, it's funny because I am, (laughs) I am a just do it type of person and, and, you know, I'm a, hey, the true essence of an entrepreneur, you know, jumping off of a bridge and and taking a risk and not knowing whether, you know, when you jump off that bridge, if you're going to jump into water and be able to tread that water or jump into a pile of rocks. So for me, it was working brick by brick, you know, so every client meant that, okay, maybe this could open up another opportunity to bring on a part-time person, you know, every, you know, bigger contract was, okay, maybe this could move us into a different space. So 
the strategy was to build and add as I was building. But not, yeah, not, yeah, not like, you know, I see people now and I'm like, wow, you know, the the world of like venture capitalism has, you know, it's it's at this all-time high or it's mostly visible now because of social and being able to read things online. But, you know, as I was building my business, we're in our 10th year of business, there was no one around me saying, hey, save and do your business plan this way and crowds, you know, crowdsource funds this way or, you know, get a line of credit over here that can help you to extend this way or, you know, get a couple of people on your advisory board and give them an equity stake in your company to do this thing. And so it was really just you know doing what I knew and really I, I think you know it, my dad's a longshoreman so he would always teach me how to build things and and to make things and so I think you know having a dad that was such a maker and a builder and don't bite off more than you can chew sort of mentality for me it was like how do I lay a great foundation and once I feel okay with this foundation how do I then start adding brick by brick because I know what my capacity is I know what I can do I know where my weak spots are or my most vulnerable spots are and how do I get people around me to help with that vulnerability or some of the challenges that I faced you know that I'd faced in the world of media so it was brick by brick client by client contract by contract, opportunity by opportunity. And at what point did you become a parent? I know you have, how many kids do you have? I have three children. You have yeah, three? I was doing it all, yeah, <laughs> three children. And so, yeah, so at what point did you become a parent, like in this, in this journey? And then how did you, how did you and your husband make space for each other to do your thing? Yeah, I mean, we're still trying to make space, but I think, um, you know, I was having children all, you know, during the time of becoming an entrepreneur. I started my first, you know, I started my business when I was pregnant with um, with my second child. I started thinking about it. So I was laid off from the production company when I was pregnant with my second child. Um, and then I really started to begin the business when I was pregnant with the, the third child. So my children are uh, 16, 11, and 9. So the 9 and the 11-year-old have only known me you know, as an entrepreneur, the 16 year old knew me, you know, when I was in higher education and working, you know, as a television producer and then beginning the entrepreneurial journey. And I think it was, I've always felt a sense of urgency in anything that I do. It could be, you know, as a kid, I was always super hyperactive being a kid, you know, with ADHD or, you know, some doctors just called it ADD, but being a very hyperactive kid, there is always a sense of impulse and urgency for me. So, you know, while people will typically say, hey, Rakia, you have an abnormal amount of energy. I mean, it is kind of abnormal. Um, and so I think putting a lot on my plate has always been something that I've been used to. So, you know, getting married and having having one child and then, you know, being pregnant with your second child and thinking about a business, starting that business when the third child is born and having to do things like, 
you know, pump in bathrooms because, you know, for me, it was like, I think being a mom now and an entrepreneur, um, and we're not talking about a long time ago, we're talking about 10 years ago, you know, it wasn't as it is widely accepted. I remember, you know, pitching a client and I was pregnant and the client at that time, well, the potential client who I didn't end up working with, um, she said something and she was like, well, you know, I saw you like a couple of months ago or a year ago and weren't you pregnant before? And I was like, yeah, I I was pregnant when you saw me two years ago and I'm pregnant again now. And she's like, well, you know, how do you get work done, you know, as a mom? And, And I think people were nervous at some points to work with me because they thought I you know, I was a mom and I had too much going on and I wouldn't be able to give them the attention that they needed. So there was a period of my life where I really didn't talk too much about being a mom because I didn't feel like it was accepted or people didn't think that I had the ability to do all of those things. Um, And I think, you know, when I was maybe six years into the business, you know, my husband had talked to me about being able to manage things and, you know, how was I managing things? And he was at a point of growth in his career where he had hit the glass ceiling, you know, he he had gotten his master's degree in sports and business, and he had worked at a a very big, um, you know, athletic uh, facility, and he was the GM there, and he had been there for 11 years. And he said, you know, if you ever want to, you know, bring me on full time, I could manage some of the back end of the business and the operations and the, you know, some of the things that you may not want to do in terms of your creative capabilities, or it will allow you to be able to be a little more forward facing in the business and to gain more clients and to have some time to be creative. So uh, about six years into the business, my husband teamed up with me um, at Sky Blue Media. He became our COO. Um, and so I think the making space part is you know, we, we like to try to stay in our lanes. We set, you know, parameters around our work life, our home life. I mean, having three children is no easy feat, geez, especially when they're, you know, they're doing things and they're, you know, teenagers that need you to talk to them or a nine-year-old who wants to tell you about a crush that he has in school. So there's, you know, there's a lot that comes with being a parent, you know, obviously a lot that comes with being an entrepreneur and I've integrated all of them into everything that I'm doing. I appreciate that story so much. And I feel like, you know, we're, we're in a world where we, we do get to see a lot of examples now, um, in a way that, you know, you didn't have that luxury of seeing, of seeing it and having access to it all the time. Like social media wasn't the thing then that it is now. Um, and I think that, um, you know, it's funny because, you know, the story that you illustrated, you know, being pregnant in that pitch, you know, um, um, that never would have been a question that they would have asked a man. And, um, Mm yeah, so I think, um, you know, one of the reasons I named this podcast, this guy's legit, like partly is because that's just how I talk. And then partly it's, it was really to, to call to question the assumption that the person, that the leader in the room is the man, um, and to sort of call Mm -hmm. to question 
that um, you know there is still there are still a disproportionate number um, you know a disproportionately lower number of non males that are at the top of of companies and I feel like you know mm-hmm. you are doing um, every every entrepreneur a real service by leading from the front and by um, you know doing it even though you've hit these roadblocks and doing it even though you've hit these challenges and showing that it's possible to be done. Um, It's really helpful Mm -hmm. also for me, you know, I got my business license like two weeks before I found out I was pregnant. And I was like, well, like, Mm -hmm. here we go. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's been, it's been really helpful um, for me once I, you know, became acquainted with you to sort of watch how you integrate it all. So I, I really appreciate that story. Um, yeah, I want to hear, you know, have you had a big break, like, like, like a huge client that you signed or like a huge company that you, um, you know, were able to get in front of, like, have you had big breaks in your career? And I'd love for you to share a couple. Yeah. You know what? I I would say I am truly grateful for all of the opportunities presented to me at Sky Blue Media. And I think, you know, every year there's been some sort of major milestone. You know, my mom likes to say, Rakia, you know, I want you to get a big break. And I remember, you know, the first year in business and the second year in business and then the third year in business, we started working with this major, probably the biggest (laughs) ride share, um, shared economy ride sharing service that you know out there right now they contacted us because well they contacted me because they were saying that they were coming out with this on-demand car app and I was like wow like on-demand cars like that's crazy and I remember them hiring me specifically because they said they wanted someone that thought a little differently. They didn't want a traditional publicist. They wanted someone that wore a head of a publicist and a lobbyist, but a marketer and a content creator. And they, they saw that. So I had the opportunity to, you know, bring my agency on Sky Blue Media as the agency for this, um, you know, on-demand car app, which you could probably assume who it is um, that long ago. They were the first to enter the market. Um, and then they, you know, liked the business so much that they had asked me if I wanted to come in for time to do global communications for them and at that point the business was only you know three or four years old at the point that point and 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 listen I didn't know that the sharing economy would be what it is now so I was like no but thank you it was such a huge compliment and then right after that you know and when you say no to big companies like that you think that's the only time and for me it was like oh I kind of kicked myself but Right after that, we started working with Dell. Um, one of my friends is in the, the marketing arena, and she brought us in to work with Dell on some digital content and native content. And well, it was just digital content at that time. Um, and then we started working with HSN. And then after we started working with HSN, the CEO of HSN, Mindy Grossman at that time said, hey, you'd be great to work with Serena Williams. Have you ever done anything with her? And I said, no, I, you know, I've never met her. And she set up a meeting for me to go and meet Serena Williams. And, you know, I started working with Serena Williams. And so after Serena Williams, it was then you know, having a meeting with Ashley Graham and her sister-in-law saw me on a panel speaking about the importance of, you know, brand and personal brand, you know, versus corporate brands. And I was doing a lot in, you know, the the psychology of brand building a, a pretty long time ago. So it was her sister-in-law speaking 
seeing me speak on a panel about that. And then it was starting to work with um, Ashley Graham and four, four other top models at the time. And then after that, it became, you know, started working with our, uh, she's now 14. She was about eight or nine when we met her, but a 14-year-old social activist at the time. And we worked with her on launching her brand, one hashtag, um, hashtag 1000 black girl books. So there's been milestone after milestone. I feel like all of the clients that we've gotten to work with, you know, are a, are a big break. Recently, we started to do some work with, with Planned Parenthood and, and we're proud that we get to work with an organization that, you know, stands for a lot of things other than what the one thing that people know them for. And so every year, you know, every year, and we've worked with Comcast, we've worked with Global Citizen, we've worked with so many great organizations that it's always been a milestone. And I, I, I guess I don't look at it as a big break. I mean, one of our uh, recent clients is is a deaf woman. And so for for us to have that kind of milestone to start working with communities that, you know, are not the obvious communities and communities that need, you know, I would say the same amount of attention as, you know, the other communities that we're working with. So we, we've begun to really embrace the word inclusivity with everyone that we're working with and, you know, working with our client who is creating products for, you know, creating a luxury jewelry product that doesn't necessarily have to deal with anyone in the deaf community has allowed us to really open our eyes to everything that's out there and working with all kinds of people. So I think, you know, the milestones uh, for, for, for me and for the company, I, I guess they would outweigh the, the breaks, you know, the big breaks, so to speak. But I would say like, it's just been for me, like milestone after milestone, I get excited. I get excited by all of it. Something that I'm hearing uh, sort of like as a through line is, is that, every sort of step of the way, um, you the new opportunities come through relationships. And I, I wanna hear why relationships are so important in business. Yeah, I think, listen, I, I learned a long time ago that it's, sometimes it really boils down to like, people work with the people that they wanna work with. You know, um, you know, I used to look at other people and, oh, how do they have that big client roster? And you, they don't look like me and they don't sound like me. And maybe I'm doing things a little too differently. And, you know, when, is, when, when will I get my big break? And I think that if you surround yourself with people that essentially believe in your vision and your your purpose and where you'd like to go, where they embrace the sort of inadvertent brand, brand manifesto that you're putting out to the world, they will then see that and, and talk to other people about it. And, and I found that the people that you know, believe in the brand manifesto that I've put out into the world and the things that we talk about at Sky Blue Media have been our biggest ambassadors, not only advocates of the work that we do, but ambassadors in a true sense where they're telling other people and introducing us to other people. I've never put out a marketing campaign to get new business or any sort of advertisement or created a social spend so that people could find out who we are and what we do in order to to gain business we've never spent any any sort of money or created a monetization strategy to tell anyone about sky blue media so i think we're right at the 
this precipice of, you know, being able to have a great client roster um, that's now turned into more of a curated, you know, exhibit, so to speak. You know, we choose the people that we like to work with. We choose the people that we're super excited about that are showing up in the world that may need, you know, a different tactic or different ways in order to communicate their story. And, and that's all been via relationships and all word of mouth and all, you know, because of a product or campaign or something that we've put out, someone's seen it and said, who worked with you on that? And, you know, then it's, oh, hey, we talked to Rakia or we talked to someone at Sky Blue Media or Sky Blue Media created that. So it's been relationship after relationship. So something that um, so really you're, you're like you're living PR, like you, you are you are putting what you do for other people into practice for yourself. Um, I for people who don't understand what PR is and what PR can do for a company, um, I'd love to hear maybe three tips for a company or an individual who's interested in building awareness around their idea or their personal brand. Like, where should someone mm-hmm. start? I think it essentially goes back to the art of storytelling. And you know, because I'm a you know, a former TV producer, I'll always go back to the nucleus of a story. So if you're someone that is not in the world of public relations, it's it's essentially like knowing your story in and out and and being able to dissect your story and offer different components of the story based on your art your audience. So if you're talking to, you know, an an internal person of your, you know, a member on your team versus someone that you just met, you want to be able to know your audience and know what they want to hear as it relates to your story. So I always tell people as a storyteller, you know, stick to the script, give people the who, what, when, where, and then most importantly, the why, because our brains are formed on the narrative of storytelling. People don't want information thrown at them. They need to be able to consume it and understand it and have a call to action. And if, you know, just studying, you know, basic psychology in college, it teaches us that the brain, after someone has told you a story, even an hour after that story, they will remember that they need to do something if the story is compelling. So if you're creating you know, some marketing for yourself, or if you're creating PR for yourself, make sure that it's in, for, it's in the format of a story that gives people something anecdotal or gives people a tactical takeaway because that's, just, that's how the brain works. And we're a species that likes human interaction. So you're connecting with people, no matter if you're sending an email or if you're tweeting something out or you're posting it on Instagram or you're responding to something on Facebook or you're publishing a lo- an article on LinkedIn, just know that it's human interaction and humans like stories. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Do you set goals for yourself? Do you, do you have like next year I want to do this and in 10 years I want to be doing this? Do you, do you do that practice? Do you have a practice? You know, that? I use... I, you know, I used to, and, and I, you know, years ago, I, I think maybe about mm, seven or eight years ago, I'd done a vision board for myself. And, you know, there used to be a list that I would make every year where I, you know, write a list and like put it in my Bible. Um, and now what I've started to do with my kids, maybe about three or four years ago, um, 
it's usually on New Year's Eve or New Year's Day, we write out all of our goals. And sometimes it's, it turns into a wish list of like two vacations this year. One is Jamaica, one is St. Thomas. But I think my, my wishes and my goals have become intertwined and um, I, I don't set them that far out. So they've never been three to five years. I may talk about them, but I don't necessarily write them down but every year I plan you know professionally and personally what I'd like to see over the next year. Earlier you talked about um, inclusion and I'm curious from your perspective why is inclusion and why is representation in the media why are they so important? I mean, you know, I just had this conversation yesterday with someone and instead of using the word inclusion, they used the word belonging. Mm. And I think we're in a space right now where we have to be we have to be very diligent in our efforts to let people know that they do belong because we keep seeing these messages of people that you know are not included or you know don't feel like they belong because of you know people telling them that they don't i think in the media and in your personal spaces it's more important than ever to let people know that they do belong here they're here for a reason and it's not necessarily just being included and having a seat at the table but it's really being able to have a purpose that matters and i think you know in the world of marketing one of the trends that we're seeing right now is that you know people are getting a they're they're straying away from the the mass marketing and having everybody there and you know all voices and I want to see you know big quantities of things and we're seeing people the trend of moving closer to mass mattering so I think the words belonging and mattering are more important than ever mm-hmm. how will you know when you've made it gosh that's you know I that's a hard question to answer, but I think, you know, I can only speak for myself and not generally speaking, but I, you know, I felt like I had made it when I was sleeping through the night. Um, you know, as an entrepreneur, you suffer a little more anxiety than a, 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 I would say a person who's not because you're constantly thinking of everything and there's always a loose end for something. And for me, making it was being able to sleep through the night and not wake up in a sweat you know making it and and success for me was being able to not sweat when payroll came about uh making it for me was being able to offer the employees and the people that work for me a great space to work at and giving them uh, health benefits um, and giving them, you know, different a different type of access. So for for me personally, making it was just being an extension of, you know, who I was when I started out and being able to invite, you know, fourteen other people or however many people are here, including our consultants, um, along with me on the journey. Mm. So I find that as an entrepreneur, and maybe even for anybody that, that, that works hard and loves their work, the boundaries of our lives are super blurred. Um, and so for my final question, I'm curious for you, Rakia, what is the mm-hmm. meaning of life? Oh my gosh, what is the meaning of life? I mean, you know, hmm, 
that that's a hard question. Like you're stuffing me with so many some of these questions. But I, I mean, I, I I probably wouldn't be able to put the, those into perfect words. But I would I would I surmise from all of the things that I've been through in my life. I think life is just this perpetual give back and. I think as a mom, you know, and someone that has given life and someone that has, you know, really exuded life, to me, it is being able to bring other people in. And whether that's, you know, your children or, you know, your significant other or the people around you, um, it's, it's being able to to walk on something, be able to stand through things, reflect through things and bring other people around you on the journey. Thank you so much for making time, Rakia. You are so inspiring. Yeah. You are such a powerhouse. Thanks. I feel so honored to know you and to be watching your journey and to see you um, and to have you as an example. Um, and I just, I'm really grateful for you making time today. Thank you so much for having me. I enjoyed it. It was therapeutic for me to talk to you. <laughs> <laughs> You've been listening to This Guy's Legit. This episode was produced by me, Rachel Dorsey, with editing by Drew Dorsey and original music by Taylor Joshua Rankin. This Guy's Legit is executive produced by Boningold. If you like what you heard, hit subscribe to get the next episode automatically. And if you really like what you heard, leave a review. And follow us on Instagram at This Guy's Legit.